and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we are here to bring you that long-foretold Sporting Kansas City recap episode that we we mentioned last week. I think we kind of dipped on it the weeks before as well, but I mean it. I'm sleeping with my SKC jersey and my scarf like it's a child's blanket. I'm dreaming of this team. I'm yearning, baby. I want to talk. I want to talk some football, some soccer, some some round ball with the octagons on it, you know? I'm ready to talk that. But first, Armando, we missed you last week, dog. Thankfully, friend of the podcast, Noah Metzger, stood in uh, and uh, helped us talk about the Kansas City Royals, but... It's great to have you back, man. How you doing? I'm great. You can probably hear in the background there's a there's a trash guy getting all the trash, so you'll hear that during the podcast. But hey, this is live theater, everybody. I'm in California right now. I'm I'm at a uh, kitchen table in Lincoln Heights, so you're also going to hear a lot of reverb because I'm in a living room right now. But yeah, man, I'm doing a show out here, and I'm glad I have some time to talk some Sporting KC. It's actually great that that we didn't do the Sporting KC talk until now because we would have missed this epic San Jose match. So it's a blessing in disguise, but man, I love me some L.A. It's like 70 degrees always around here, which is so different from Colorado Springs. I got my shorts on. I got my flip floppies on. I'll probably go to the beach in a couple days. I just checked out Highland Park Brewery, and the beers are amazing. Amazing, mm-hmm. and uh, rumor is that we we may speak with them at some point. Who knows? So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. There there could be something in our future. Uh, but man, it's it's great to be out here. I saw my grandma yesterday as well, um, so that was cool. You know, I haven't seen my grandma in a long time, and just being able to perform for my grandma, you know what I mean? Is uh, it's just a big deal. So yeah, man, I'm super stoked. The opera's going to be great. And yeah, ready to talk some sporting, baby. Does your grandma live out in LA still? Yeah, my grandma. She lives with my aunt and my uh, my uncle. Uh, they live in Montebello, which is pretty close to East Los Angeles. It's I mean, it's really close to downtown, dude. You want it? Okay. You know how like the housing market is just ridiculous around here. Yeah. My grandma's in a, a two bedroom, one bath, mm-hmm. and the houses around them are also two bedroom, one baths, really, really small homes. Yeah. Um, I won't say the property value for her house, but the house that just sold next to her, $700,000. And when they bought it, they were, it was like 200K around them. Can oh, you I, believe that, dude? Oh, my goodness. I actually do believe it just because uh, Noelle's aunt has a place in Oakland. That I think they bought it back in like the early 80s or something like that before the Bay Area like exploded, exploded. And now it's like worth an enormous, like an insane amount of money that I can't even, can't even fathom having that much money for a house. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So basically what, what I'm hearing like from um, their family members, like on my uncle's side, who's not on my side. They're selling their homes because the market is just so ridiculous that in like the last, even the last two weeks, people's property values are going up six figures. So people are just selling their homes, moving to Texas, and they're retiring early. Oh, so they're who we have to blame for all the hipsters. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, and Joe Rogan. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Joe Rogan. Rogan. (laughs) Is Joe Rogan based out of Texas? 
Yeah, so he moved. He moved. And honestly, he is the reason why there was a mass exodus because every podcast he kept talking about how he hates LA. It's so cluttered. And then he moved to Austin and he now has his own like comedy club there. Really? Uh, Dave, well, Dave Chappelle is already out there, but like he always has Dave on and Dave lives in Iowa and Ohio. <laughs> Same thing. He moved out and just lives in this random farm in Ohio. And now they're going to do this big tour post COVID Chappelle and uh, Rogan. Should be kind of cool. Does Rogan do stand up? Or is he yeah, just- yeah, he's, he's actually based in stand-up. In fact, him and Dave Chappelle like grew up in the same like stand-up group. They've known each other for like 30, 40 years, and they were like a part of this group that was going to go on and do big things. And then Joe Rogan stopped doing stand-up for a while to do um, Fear Factor mm-hmm. and just kind of did that. Then he came back to stand-up, did the podcast, and then also MMA or whatever. He would actually do podcasts on MMA. No, sorry. He would commentate on, on MMA for free when MMA like sucked. Yeah. And they were like, oh, hey, Joe Rogan, you should come do this. And he's like, yeah, I actually kind of like MMA because he did jujitsu before he did MMA. He's like, oh, this stuff is so cool. So he would just go and just do these things for free. And now, you know, he's whatever, a multi-billionaire. I'm or, not going to. No, not a billionaire. Sorry. His podcast is worth $100 million. Oh, yeah. His podcast is. One of the godfathers of modern podcasting. But it's kind of funny. You mentioned like he does MMA. I know he does MMA, but for whatever reason, when you said MMA, just the first letter, I thought you were going to wind up saying MDMA. And I'm like, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it all, it all connects the dots. He moved to Texas. Elon Musk is moving like Tesla out to Austin, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's moving a bunch of people out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Silicon Valley is dissipating, but. Wow. We can probably do another podcast on that, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or just move our podcast to Austin. Speaking of which, if you want to keep up with our podcast, social media shout out time. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Fountain City SM. You can find us on Facebook at Fountain City SM. And if you're feeling real stonky, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM, where you'll find exclusive content, including bonus episodes, outtakes, and exclusive beer reviews. But for now... I think it's time to talk Sporting Kansas City, Armando. Oh, absolutely. Kick it off for us, man, on a Goal <laughs> Fest 2021, baby. I'm glad you brought up the fact that if we did the podcast last weekend as scheduled, we would have totally whiffed on this and it would have been a completely different podcast. And, you know, I yep. made a similar comment with Noah last week talking about the Royals. I'm like, if Armando and I wound up doing this podcast Sunday night like we thought we were going to, this is going to be a real sad podcast. Lo and behold, the Royals got a few wins. They've done better since. It was kind of a, hey, you know, who's the real team here? And it's kind of the same thing with Sporting Kansas City now. Uh, First things first, I want to break down that first goal because when I had my score ticker tell me that San Jose had scored on us in the first four minutes of the match. (laughs) You were like, it's over. (laughs) I thought the season was over. My initial thought was, man, we're just going to be like fighting for seventh or sixth place this year. We're going to be, you know, like fighting until the last couple weeks for a playoff spot just to get knocked out of the first round. We, We suck, man. Why can't we be good? And by the end of it, I'm like, oh. This team's actually pretty good, baby. We could like, oh, yeah. we could ruffle some cages, man. Shake some feathers. Oh man, I think I was mixed up. Shake some cages, rattle some cages, shake some feathers, uh, rustle some yeah. feathers. I've never heard that line anyway, but that makes sense the way that you said it. Rustle some stones. Where do you get all these phrases, man? <laughs> Iowa, huh? I have an approximation of many things. So, <laughs> first is last breaking on that first goal. 
Uh, for those of you who don't know, Sporting Kansas City left San Jose with a crucial three points in a 3-1 to one victory. Uh, we had a lot of good play from some of our stars, Alan Pulido in particular, some of our comeback kids like Shallowy, and some of our newbies like Lindsay. But it wasn't all sunshine and roses in the Sunshine State. Is California the Sunshine State or is Florida the Sunshine State? Uh, <laughs> or is California the Golden State? Let me look it up. I think Florida's the Sunshine State. What is the Sunshine State? I feel like that guy on the Joe Rogan podcast. It's definitely Florida. It's Florida. Oh. Well, I'm leaving that in there. <laughs> That's fine. You can leave all this in here. Uh, is Cal- I'm putting is California the Sunshine State, and then it'll say no. It is the blank state. Oh, I'm, I'm, think, um, I'm thinking of Katy Perry and California girls calling it the Golden Coast. You were right. No, no, you're right. California is the Golden State. Oh, well. And I'm assuming Gold Rush. Hold on. I have a significance. I, I have something better. All that glittered was not gold in the Golden State. So, <laughs> bonus question What is Missouri? Missouri is the show me state, baby. At a boy. And what is Kansas? The free state. Amen. But also, are, are they not the free state? I thought that was the joke. They were called the free state. Nope. Oh, what are they? They're called two things, according to Britannica.com the sunflower state. Oh, I knew that. And the Jayhawker state. Uh, I think, I don't think Just anybody. Just like ever- Iowa is the. The Hawkeye state, baby. Hawkeye state slash corn state. Yeah, it is. Yeah, don't let Nebraska <laughs> tell you otherwise. They started off as the bug eaters for a reason. Anyway, I promise we're not stalling to talk about this game. Let's break down that first goal by San Jose. So, all things considered, I was worried that it was going to be some sort of blooper stupid thing we were caught napping on defense like it always seems to be. But, subsequently, it was honestly a good set piece off the corner. La Chofis. Yeah, dude. Chofis was a... He came to stonk because Ramadi feigned the reception off of that corner. Shallowy read that, and he just barely missed out on poking that thing off the track and getting the interception. Yeah. Chofis received the ball with our entire team stacked in front of the box. It, it reminded me of that scene in, remember Dark Knight Returns, when Commissioner Gordon's like, send every cop in New York City <laughs> down into the sewers. I'm like, why would you do that? And that's exactly what Sporting Kansas City did. I counted. Ten of our dudes were just like chilling out in the six-yard box. I'm like, why would you send every cop in New York to hang out in the six-yard box? Lo and behold, Chofis got that. He had a really great finish, honestly. He kicked it. It curved left. You know, Amelia really didn't have a shot. So, honestly, that's probably the best goal I've seen Sporting allow in quite some time. What were your thoughts on going down 1-0 so early in the contest? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, there was nothing that we can do there. The only criticism that I had was that maybe they could have hustled a little closer to the center of the field when they were down left towards the goalie. Mm-hmm. Like, it did kind of look like they were half-assing to Chofis, but I don't think they were expecting Chofis to make that goal. I mean, that was, like, high right side of the post perfectly placed 
Um, and I don't. I, I think they were waiting for Chofis to kind of do something with the ball, but he immediately. It was like they had run that in practice over and over and over again because that looked like clockwork to me. But I mean, yeah, what is what is Mila going to do on that play? No. He can't leap all the way to the high right side of the post. Um, so yeah, it was a great play. And look, Chofis is great. Chofis before being with San Jose, he he was in Liga MX and he won the Liga MX championship. He also won Supercopa MX. So I mean, he has a great pedigree and there's really nothing you can do christian espinoza also placed it like beautifully it was a beautiful set piece and then of course a beautiful decoy so fine whatever we're down one zero during the game i was fine with it i will never complain about sporting letting in like a missile shot or letting in a goal off of a great set piece like that because it's like you said that's exactly what it was it was a well put together just like dummy play they executed it in practice a thousand times. They caught us napping. And as a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid, that was the football version of watching Andy Reid do like a misdirection play. It was great. Oh, totally. <laughs> it was it, it was fourth and one Matt Moore rollout. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. That's exactly what it was. So a Tyree kill. <laughs> actually, great goal by San Jose. Got to give him props there. But yeah. uh, later on, not to be outdone in the 14th minute, We are struck with uh, a new system that I would like to hashtag call hashtag Polito is the greatest player in MLS because he can do it all and plays the game at a different level. And if he played for LAFC, they'd make comparisons to Messi and Ronaldo and never shut up about him. (laughs) Prove me wrong. I'm not going to prove you wrong because you're right. (laughs) So first is last. What sets up this play is Polito doesn't give up when he gets dispossessed, and he has a great effort to turn around and dispossess that guy with a great tackle from behind. Now, here's where Polito really starts to shine. We've talked about him seeing this whole thing in 4D compared to the average MLS person who's seen this like in 3D. No, man, Alan Polito's got that like, what's that underwater shrimp that punches really hard and can see light spectrum colors that we can't? Plankton and SpongeBob? No, it's not plankton. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's a specific kind of shrimp. This is gonna. Oh, the the rainbow fish? No, rainbow fish is a book by like Eric Carlson. Can, can you? <laughs> but there's a like scary rainbow fish that like when you go like way deep in the water, it's like electro. It's like electrifying and has fangs and. Shit. Um, I'm gonna look this up. We're giving this Joe Rogan treatment part two. We're, we're ex- <laughs> mantis shrimp, the mantis shrimp. Most famously, they have 16 color receptors compared to a human's three. Alan Polito has 16 color receptors compared to a human's three. <laughs> how did how did you how did you re- recall that fish? Did you like do a report in second grade about the fish? Um, maybe it's very possible, or maybe they <laughs> have like, like that's, a, that's such specific knowledge. Or maybe mantis shrimp have like telepathy powers as well, and they're like all hail the mantis shrimp. So. Yeah, and they and they just randomly went to our podcast and like this is how we're going to get coverage by doing by tele telepathy to reese on found city sports media maybe bubba gumble be our first sponsor of the podcast i know we're still looking but anyway getting back on this alan polito dispossesses the gentleman from behind and then using his mantis shrimp vision he sees jalen Lindsay being defended on the outside part of the field by the defender giving him about 10 to 15 yards of open space on the inside now in triple coverage polito sends this gorgeous cross right to Lindsay. Lindsay takes about a dribble and with absolutely no angle at all hits the inside of the far post to answer in the 14th minute. That was a huge equalizer. 
Yeah, and and actually, I want to chime in. It was at least three defenders, right? I think I thought I counted almost five people around him. And if we want to make analogies, you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of Michael Jordan having you know triple team and then tossing it out to Steve Kerr in the corner, and everyone's like, "That guy's on the team championship." Basically, Swish, nothing but that because Jalen Lindsay, that's his first goal ever. Jalen Lindsay is never in that position to make a goal. No, you know what I mean? And J- Jalen Lindsay is never going to be the one to take that shot. But Pulido, eyes in the back of his head, whatever rainbow star vision, whatever you said, mantis um, shrimp, and perfect, perfect cross to the right side. And then Lindsay, you're right, just kicks it as hard as he can with his like off foot that then kind of ricochets off. Um, Marzakowski and it's a it's a perfect goal but you're right that setup by Polito is one of a kind there's not so many people that can distract five defenders and then have the space and the patience to then wait for Jalen Lindsay on the right side who normally isn't cutting towards the goal makes a perfect cross to hit him so yeah that, that was amazing we are blessed to have Polito in Kansas City ladies and gentlemen what a team and I'm glad he's I'm glad he's healthy Amelia's healthy let's let's freaking go let's freaking go Kansas City but just to just to what you were mentioning there Peter Vermees last year kind of alluded to the concept that the rest of the team needs to step up their game in regards to seeing the field and seeing plays develop in the way Pulido does and that Pulido was probably feeling some frustration as the season went on. I know you and I alluded to that. I think even uh, Noah alluded to that on the episode where he filled in last year. Dude, Noah's everywhere. Everyone give a shout out to Noah. Great guy. (laughs) Shout out. Shout out. Casey Kidd. But you know, that, that's just so important, and that's going to play a big part going on to this game. You alluded to the concept of him being in triple coverage. Well, get used to that because that happens at least twice more. Some other things I liked about Polito in that first half. Later on in the 22nd minute, our young phenom, John Licabusio, sets up Polito on the outside. Now, he wound up taking it wide, but I am thrilled that Polito got that and he was looking to shoot. Not try and beat his defender with a move and then do like a tap-in or something like that. He said... I think I can make this shot, so I'm going to take this shot. Yeah, and and I'm just going to keep with these basketball analogies because it's the NBA playoffs, and I'm just freaking rolling from the playoffs, man. But Pulido is like Kobe Bryant because you don't know what Kobe's going to do when Kobe's on the baseline. He can go left. He can go right. He can pass. He can fade away right above you, or he can dunk across you. You know what I mean? And Pulido is the same way, and, and we're going to see that on the Pulido goal, where defenders don't know what to do. They don't know whether to press. They don't know whether to come back. They don't know whether to play the ball because he has so many options and he's revealed those cards in the game, right? He he, he revealed that cross assist to Lindsay. So now they have to prepare for crap like that. They're like, wait a minute. Oh, crap. And so then Pulido, you're right has the has the frame of mind to know that they're thinking of that and takes a shot. So it's incredible to have him because he's so multifaceted and even the greatest of defenders have to have five different reactions instantaneously to Polito. So amazing. I agree with you. Well, I think it, we need to put this on our Instagram poll at Fountain City SM. Uh, I have compared, you have compared Polito to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant in uh, regards to court vision. I have compared him to a mantis shrimp. So I think we need to see (laughs) which our fan base agrees with more. Hashtag mantis shrimp or hashtag Kobe and Jordan. (laughs) 
What if they like go into Kobe's diaries and they find out that he compared himself to mantis shrimp and like the exact comparison? Then you have this like secret tattoo of a mantis shrimp on his like left thigh that no one knew about. Yeah, dude. I was saying for years, it's not mama mentality, it's mantis mentality. Come on. <laughs> shrimp mentality. Shrimp man. Debt left shrimp, baby. Sh- sh- there you go. There you go. That, that's a deep cut. Now, speaking oh, of cool. which, this brings us back to instance number two of hashtag Polito is the greatest player in the MLS because he can do it all, plays the game at a different level, and if he played for LAFC, that made comparisons to Messi and Ronaldo and never shut up about him. In the 59th minute, with six defenders completely focused on Shallowy, Polito finds the space on the left wide open at the top of the 18-yard box. With everybody looking at Shallowy, he gets a cross in, and with a one-touch gather, a one-touch to the outside move to cross up the defender, he goes opposite and just crushes a straight missile into the corner. It was a thing of beauty. I'll tell you what, I popped up out of my seat when this goal happened live. And you know, it was the exact same spot that Chuffies had hit as well. Mm-hmm. And Polito was like, hey, you can do that. Yeah, watch this. Again, with the patience. He had the patience to kind of set up the goal, right? Because the defenders weren't being aggressive, because he has so many different moves, they can't afford to be aggressive. So because they pulled back, Polito hits it in the perfect spot, just like Chofis did in that, in that you know, six minute or whenever he, he hit his goal. And it's just, it's a beautiful goal. I mean, there were so many beautiful goals in this game. This is kind of an offshoot but like you know we we've we've seen sporting kc kind of pull stuff out of there you know what sometimes Mm -hmm. but a lot of these goals today were were calm they were impressive they were athletic and to see all that happen makes me really really hopeful as a sporting kc fan but of course paluta we know you can do that amazing I liked your call about just having a lot of beautiful goals in this game because that has to be said on both sides as well, not just for the goals but for the shot attempts and opportunities. Both Melia and San Jose's keeper had to make a lot of great saves oh, throughout this yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, we we didn't talk about the Melia's block on Chofis in the uh, in the in the twenty third minute. He just leaped, leaped, and then same with Marzakowski blocking Kinda's goal. And I forgot, I think it was like the twenty fifth minute or something close Shortly by. After, yeah, but yeah, both those amazing shots. It was such a good game. Yeah. Anyway, anyway con- continue, Polito, uh, Polito goal. All right, so that was goal number two. Now, goal number three, a.k.a. hashtag, and I have shortened this up for everybody to remember so they can start trending this on Twitter, hashtag PGMLSBCDIALAFCMRNSU. Pretty easy to remember, right? So on the 74th minute, Polito goes on a run on the far side. He draws the attention this time of four defenders. This leaves Shallowy with space at the top of the 18-yard box, and Shallowy just curls a beauty into the far post. It was incredible, and another goal I popped for. No, my wife was in bed. I live in a studio apartment. I was just like, Ugh, and stood up. That's what I made to try and like restrain myself. Great sound, right? And uh, she goes, yeah. she goes, hey. what happened? Are you okay? And I'm like, sorry, we we, we just put the uh, the go not the go ahead. We just put the uh, put away goal yeah, away. That's the go ahead, yeah. Yeah, the, the the game the game clincher is what I'm going for. And it was it was a beautiful goal. Shallowy played a big role in this one, not only in assists but also finishing. And I tell you what, without Johnny Russell, if we can have Shallowy step up like this, that's going to be huge for the offense going forward. This is Shallery's third goal in what? Six games? Five so, games? Something like that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the third goal in five, six matches. That is super impressive. Shallowy is probably the most improved on this team thus far. I know he had a good 2019 season, not the greatest 2020 season. So it's great to see him really kind of come into his own, especially when we talked about in the previous podcast about Buzio might might be leaving at some point and having the luxury of having shallowy really playing well of course Polito we have and like you said johnny russell we can kind of afford to kind of just grab that cash from buzio but yeah incredible goal again he bends it to the right side almost like mr bend it bend it like beckham over there in the right high side corner I know in a different place, but still, he bent it so beautifully. And Pulido being on the left side, distracting the defenders and having Shallowy take that shot, very impressive and just really good for Sporting KC. Um, I know we're always that offensive team, but I just felt like we were so, so much more offensively aggressive uh, this game than we than we've been in previous matches. Even like that side of the field just seemed very not only offensively aggressive but on the transition. They just seemed so fast in comparison to the previous matches. What do you think, Reese? Oh, I agree with you. I think the team did a much better job of finding space this go around and actually like taking some good shots. I've mentioned a few from Polito, but he didn't stop there. Anytime he thought he had a decent shot on goal, he took it. Even in the beginning of the second half, right in the 46th minute when he had that direct free kick just outside the box, he was going for goal. He sent it over, but I appreciate the effort. The stats on this game that I thought were very interesting and very telling was that for the first time, I think all season, we didn't blow the other team out, particularly in regards to shots. It was actually pretty even, uh, 16-15 San Jose to us. We had a couple more shots on target, but possession. For a team that runs such a safe 4-3-3 like Peter Vermees tends to, to lose possession 58-42 to is kind of interesting, which brings me to the point that you made, that we seemed much more aggressive when we had possession, as opposed to trying to just like play around with it until something gets set up. No, we were going right for the jugular, and subsequently, it really worked this match. So this brings me up into my final question about this match, and that has to do with the lineup. Now, this lineup seemed to be the most effective of the season that we've rolled out so far. Three goals scored, one goal allowed. We didn't allow anything late in the game. My heart was stopping a little bit because they kept peppering us, and I'm like, man, if they put a goal in right around the 85th, 86th minute, suddenly we're on our heels trying to keep them out from making an equalizer or, heaven forbid, worse. Now, my big question to you was, in your opinion, do you think this was good offense by Sporting or was it bad defense by San Jose? Um... (laughs) You know, <laughs> I think it's definitely good offense by Sporting, and I I don't fault San Jose for what they did. I don't necessarily think it was bad defense, and like I said, all the goals were very impressive. There was very good goals, and I thought San, San Jose held their own, and that's hopeful for Kansas City fans because when we play a really good defense, right, when we end up playing Portland— our, our, our rematch against Houston. You know, we had really good defense. I had a clean sheet last time. Mm-hmm. This should make us hopeful because if we are set up in good positions, if we get a set piece by Pulido or anybody else, the sky is the limit. Even with a good defense, that offense was incredible. And I didn't mind our defense as well. I thought Jalen Lindsay played really well, uh, especially against Trophies. Um, and we know that Zussi wasn't playing because of injury and Jalen was taking his place. 
And we're starting to see this competition, man. And I like it. I like this defensive competition. Puncic didn't play either. Um, these guys that we've seen on the defense, I think Peter Vermees is making this rotation um, that is coming together. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on the defensive side. That's kind of more of my focus. I'm cool with the offense. Let it roll, baby. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because listening to you answer that question made me kind of rethink my perception of it, mainly because I was going to come in here and say I think it was probably more poor defense by San Jose. Now, I initially was going to say that because, as I've alluded to three times, all of our goals came in times when San Jose was like swarming the ball and the attention of all their defense was on where the ball was and not where everybody else was. But on the flip side of things... How many times have we said Sporting Kansas City seems to like pepper them with goals but can never finish? To me, they had a lot of great awareness in being able to find the soft spots in the other team's defense to set themselves up to take some good shots. So I would say now it's probably closer of six of one, half dozen of another. San Jose probably did play some poor defense and that wound up costing them, but it wound up costing them because our guys were playing smart, playing heads up, and making the most of their shot opportunities. So, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with this lineup. And honestly, I would really love to see Peter Vermees not change this going into the next game. Even if Zussi's healthy and he's like, I'm going to put my veteran back. And it's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's see where they're going with this lineup, man. Because this, this is the most cohesive sport in Kansas City's looked all season, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I I think we are on a hot streak right now. We're on a two-game hot streak, and I know that that is kind of important when it comes to soccer, not necessarily for you know football or or uh, baseball or basketball, but uh, but for MLS. I mean, having a, a two-game win streak where Melia is healthy, he's hot. Uh, Pulido looks really healthy as well, and then Lindsay's finding his stride on the defensive side. You know, having those guys make this experience or to develop this experience and develop these moments are huge for a team because we know Zussi's going to be great. You know, we we know when Johnny Russell comes back, he's going to be great. But having these young guys get this experience is really, really important, especially on a hot streak. So, yes, don't change anything, Peter. I know you're listening because we're the greatest podcast to ever live in Kansas City. Part of the podcast, the beer review. <laughs> I'm just thinking we're this like <laughs> we're this smooth jazz. Like, welcome back. It's your favorite part of the day, the beer review on NPR. All things considered, that's <laughs> that's that's what like what whenever you say it or whenever Kyle says it, I think this is the first, I haven't led a beer review in a long time. So it's just, whenever I hear you guys say it, I just think it's this like smooth jazz segment. <laughs> it's everyone's favorite time. So anyway, it's everyone's favorite time. It's a beer review. All right. But before we talk about the Reese's beer, um, I want to have a little bit of time to talk about this week in beer. If you recall, I had reviewed a beer called Wibby's Folks Beer Vienna Lager. It must have been like a month ago, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, and and it's, a, it's a beer here in Colorado. What did I, it's from Longmont. It's from Longmont here in Colorado. It's like a pretty close by Fort Collins. Anyway, I just saw that wine enthusiasts 
gave their first 100-point rating to Wibby's Folks Beer Vienna Lager. For real? First ever. Yeah, yeah. They, like, no beer has ever gotten 100 points wow. in their ratings. And Folks Beer, the, the Vienna Lager, is the very... The very first one. So you guys know it won gold at the GABF for uh, for Vienna Lager style. Um, but yeah. And this is the one that we were talking about that I kept giving sevens to. Yeah, wasn't it? I was going to say, you didn't think... And then that, Kyle like- was like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Kyle was like, I was like, sevens, how dare you? It's so low. And I'm like, it's good. It's good. I've just had really great loggers, you know? Yeah. Um, but a pair, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe my taste buds are off, man. But wine enthusiasts, who I do trust when it comes to wine, at least. Um, I uh, A lot of liquor stores that I have um, I have around here will have like the wine enthusiast rating on them. Mm-hmm. And, and I do like the ones that they highly respect. Uh, but I don't know. Hey, maybe my taste buds are off, man. The very first hundred point one. So, um, yeah, check, check your liquor stores. Maybe you guys have it. Instagram us, message us and say, Armando, you're way wrong. This beer is amazing. Well, I was going to ask you, I'm like, does wine and uh, wine enthusiasts really have any credence or are they like that good of a barometer for beer? Do they have a history of reviewing beer? Yeah, Wine Enthusiast does a craft beer ranking. I think we've talked about it before, actually, on the podcast. So I do respect whoever their beer people are. Um, yeah, I think they do have credibility when it comes to like tasting beers as well. But uh, yeah, man, Folks wow. Beer Vienna, first 100 point rating. Who would have known? Oh, you know what? And the guy that uh, the guy that made it from um, Wibby actually is from Deschutes, so mm. he's also well respected. Yeah. Forgot his, I forgot his name. Uh, Ryan. Ryan Whibby. Has Deschutes been bought by any big company yet, or are they still their own thing? I think so, yeah. Didn't we say that they were bought on that last podcast that we were talking about? Highest no, that ranking. Was do- that was Dogfish Head. Really? Desch- but Deschutes has such a good like distribution center, it has to be owned by somebody else. You know what I mean? I mean, I suppose. Yeah. But Boulevard's got really... Well, we're owned by Duval. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the defense uh, rests. <laughs> Announce that they will build a... Nope. They're not owned by, like, Constellation or anything, are they? I don't see them. Yeah, they might be independent. You're right. They're independent, man. They are the eighth largest craft brewery in America, though, so they have to have a bigger distribution. I've got a beer I'd like to distribute to fans right now. All right. <laughs> nice segue because I totally forgot. I was just, I'm just like deep into the Deschutes Wikipedia page. I don't even care about your beer. Oh. Just kidding, Reese. What are you reviewing for us today on the podcast? So I'm going to pull out a little bit of that Boulevard Brewing Company homerism here because one of my all-time favorite beers from Boulevard was the Early Riser Coffee Porter, which they discontinued, I believe, two years ago now. I think it was like Right uh, about a little into like the first year, maybe the second year of me working there, they got rid of it. And I'm like, oh man, this is what it feels like when doves cry. But in this case, it's not a dove, it's a chicken. As you can see, Early Risers logo is a chair, it's a rooster because rising early in roosters, that's the joke. And I just got that. But more importantly, <laughs> they brought it back this year. And when they did, they didn't use the same coffee because I don't think that company was making the same beans anymore. So they supplanted it with something else. And honestly, it was fine. It scratched the itch. It was fun nostalgia. It's like how when Surge came back, it's not the same recipe as OG Surge. You can't tell me it is. But I'm like, this is, you know, this is good. It, It makes my taste buds happy. But turns out Boulevard sells like hotcakes in Puerto Rico. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to be vernacular like like when we say Italian words I mean it's still not vernacular the way that you said it but I mean it's fine Puerto Puerto Rico Puerto Rico anyway 
<laughs> they cut us a deal saying, hey, we would love to give you some Puerto Rican coffee to use in one of your beers. And we said, yeah, let's do that and make Early Riser. So we have the Early Riser that was originally distributed. And we also have this special Puerto Rican style coffee Early Riser. And I'm excited to try this because I have heard magnificent things about this beer. So without further to do... Uh, Reese, can you tell me how it is Puerto Rican style? Oh no, the, it's, it's just the coffee beans, like the. Oh, okay, it, they're it, from Puerto Rican from, roast from coffee. Puerto Rican, got you. Yeah, or I'll say so, it like Reese, Puerto Rico. It the the yeah. the fr- the beans are Puerto Ricano. Oh my goodness, I sound like such a dolt. So with this beer, with this beer. Looking at the, uh, what's the first thing we rate, Armando? Uh, we're going to do aroma first. Aroma. Ooh, this has a nice, caramely, roasty aroma to it. Not a whole bunch of coffee notes in there necessarily. You just get a lot of that sweet, caramel, malty roast, which I'm totally okay with because, you know, I like that in my porters. It kind of reminds me to a degree of uh, Founder's Breakfast Stout, ah. just in the way it smells. Although I know there's not like added other stuff into this. So, you know, for aroma, that's really fresh. That's really clean. There's not a lot of like bad phenols going on in there. I'm going to give aroma on this an 8.9 out Ooh, of the gate. Ooh, that's pretty good. Okay, great. Uh, appearance. Appearance. It had a nice, foamy, pillowy, meh, about inch high dark head to it not imperial stout dark but also not a you know clear translucent head it was about the color of like a nice wooden color you know a nice uh cut open a tree count the rings that's the color uh the head has dissipated a bit but it's still representing a lot of lace in the glass not a translucent beer at all. I'm holding this up to the computer screen. And I'm not getting an ounce of light through there. I am yeah. just getting the fact that this is a sticking to wood, a dark mahogany color. If this were the insect kingdom, I could hold this beer up against my shelving unit in my closet and it could blend in using natural camouflage. So for blowing my mind with that, all things considered, let's roll this with an 8.7 on appearance. Okay. Wow. You're coming out the gate with high eights, high eights. Okay, flavor. Oh, yeah. This thing is a thing of beauty. It sips really easy. You get a lot of the sweetness from the malt in there without being, you know, like milk stouty sweet. A little bit more coffee taste than there was on the nose. It's it's a very, it almost tastes like drinking a sweetened carbonated cold brew. Huh. You know, so that's really good. Very refreshing. It reminds me more of what the OG early riser tasted like because when it was revived it didn't have this nice almost nutty I hate to say peanut buttery but almost like peanut buttery finish to it mm-hmm. whereas this one has that finish to it so I'd be interested to see what the brewing process was and if they did anything in the recipe different outside of the coffee or if it's just the coffee makes the beer subsequently I'm going to give this an 8.8 on flavor Ooh, okay what is the ABV on that off the top of my head, it can't be over like five seven, five two. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But does it taste like it though? It doesn't. Doesn't taste boozy. It tastes crushable a little bit. Well, here's the funny thing. I mean, obviously this is not a dunkel, but mm-hmm. I think it shares a lot of similarities to the dunkel 
it, at least in regards of the color, the ease of drinking, the ABV, and the taste of the malt. Now, obviously, you have this side-by-side -side of the Dunkel. I can tell you what a Dunkel was. Right. But it has a lot of those lager-ish qualities that I oh. like, in, in particularly summer beers. And that's what makes this thing so crispy and crushable. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to try that because I've never had... A coffee beer, you know, something so potent coffee-wise, because there's, you know, porters that are coffee-wise, but something with, like, a Puerto Rican coffee that it's, it's like, featured in the beer is normally a higher ABV because it just has so much to it. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. I'd, I'd love to try it when I when I come into town. I was going to say, I was going to add this to your growing beer box that Noel's like, when's Armando coming in town? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I have don't to worry. I'll solidify that this week. Oh, dude, it'll be... I a, have to. I have no choice. So, oh, yeah, I'll solidify I, it. I have the beer in a well-shaded area that the temperature doesn't flux, so it'll be all creep, peak crispiness. Nice. All right. Uh, mouthfeel. That's a very light mouthfeel. Not the lightest beer I've ever had. Surprisingly, not a whole lot of car uh, carbonation in there, considering how much is still in my glass. I would liken it to water. You know, using like the water juice milk scale. I think it's very easy to drink, very easy to sip. As I mentioned, very crushable. Mouthfeel on this, for dangerous reasons, gets to be a 9-2. This is the easiest drinking porter I think I've ever had in my life. Holy moly. Not too heavy, not too light, you know, because even like something smooth like a, a vanilla snowdrift porter from Line and Kugels, that's kind of heavy. Like if you if you chugged one of those, which I wouldn't recommend, you'd be like, oh, I just like chugged a loaf of bread. If you chugged one of these, I mean, you wouldn't be doing like a 400 meter race anytime in the near future, but like you wouldn't hate yourself. It makes you want to drink more. Amazing. 9.2. And last but not, well, the penultimate, aftertaste. Aftertaste is good on this. Aftertaste is where a lot of the coffee notes come through. If you get that kind of sweeter, caramely maltiness going down, after about an exhale and sitting for a second or two, that's where a lot of the Puerto Rican coffee notes come through. So I think it's well-balanced. It gives you a two-tone flavor going down and coming up. For aftertaste, I'm going to give it another 8.9. Wow. Okay, great. And last but not least, the Alan Pulido soccer balls owning the San Jose defense quotient. Uh, so Alan Pulido quotient on this beer. You know, I think there's a lot of things going for it. Obviously, I am a little bit biased here because I have nostalgia goggles for this beer. But like I said, when you have nostalgia for something, it's rarely ever as good as you remember it when you finally get a chance to experience it again. I would say that is not the case with this early riser Puerto Rican version. It has a lot of those notes that I really liked, the sweetness, the ease of drinking, like I said, very lagerish in its crispiness. Uh, the mouthfeel and the flavor leaves you sipping this thing hard. Like you're going to go through this really quick, not because, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I want to crush this beer, but just because you're like, I'd like another sip and another and another and another and it's gone. So I would say for bringing this thing back, giving it a new twist, making it very drinkable and delicious, I'm going to give the BDQ of this beer 9.1. 9.1. All right. Solid high marks for this beer from Boulevard Brewing. Make sure that you check it out, Kansas City fans. Is it on tap at the beer hall? Uh, so here's the thing. We originally got the OG early riser from the, sorry, the, the, this year's early riser on tap, and we were told we were going to keep tapping that until we got kegs of this and i think we're still tapping the first batch of early riser okay but we're selling okay. it out of the gift shop you can tell because the early riser in the beer hall has like the original rooster logo and this one has like a revised like updated rooster logo okay. which honestly 
The logo on this also gets to go into the BDQ. This is really well done. This is a really cool looking logo. Awesome. Well, check it out in the gift in the gift shop. Oh yeah, that is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, everyone go down to the beer hall. Say say hello to our good friend Reese, aka Refer Reese, and have a good time. Have a have a tasty beer on this uh, in this summer months. Sports Media. We just got done talking about the Sporting Kansas City victory over the San Jose Earthquake and how that's kind of changed at least my perception of this team going forward. As I mentioned earlier, four minutes into that game, I was about to raise the white flag. Why? Because I am a certified coward. Coward! But going forward into the season, we are now one-fifth of the way into the season second in the West at 4-1-2. We're sitting behind Seattle, who's at 5-2-1 with a 14-3 goals scored to goals allowed ratio, which is at this point pretty crazy. Now, my question is, do you think this is a battle for just holding on to second place, or do you think we can catch up to Seattle and they're due to kind of regress? I would love to say that we're going to you know, try to compete for first place, but I think second place is already uh, pretty difficult because look who we have. You know, we got Portland, we got the two LA teams, Galaxy and LAFC, that are that are also knocking. And it's it's just so early in the season that the difference between second place and sixth place is just still too close right now. Um, so I would love to say that we're you know trying to compete with the Sounders, but I think I would I would be impressed as a as a Kansas City fan to just hold on to that second because just there's so many good teams in the West, man. Just too many good teams. I think it's a really good point. Uh, you know, I don't want to say Seattle's built different, but to be honest... <laughs> they are built different. <laughs> I think you could say there's probably about four to five teams in the entire MLS that would probably be in like Sporting KC's tier. I don't think I've seen another team, at least how they've played so far through seven matches, that's on Seattle's tier. Now, albeit some of that might go towards the schedule and who they've played so far and when they've had home games, but that doesn't mean we're a bad team. I'm just saying currently in the West, we are there's there's three teams nipping at our heels that if we lost and they won, suddenly we'd jump down to fifth place. Yeah. We're far into the season, but not far enough into the season that one game can't just like completely jostle the standings. Like San Jose was sitting at fifth, now they're down to seventh with a bunch of teams nipping at their heels. So let's look into the crystal ball a little bit here. We got our next three matches versus Houston, Austin, and at Portland. Which of those three teams would you say you're most afraid of right now? Uh, definitely Portland. I mean, Portland's always been a good team. They've always been really solid. I know we lost 1-0 to Houston, but I think we, we're we going to turn that one around against Houston uh, because now we got Melia back, and now we got a very confident offense, a very aggressive offense. I think that's a big deal. Um, so I say we beat Houston. I think we beat Austin easily, just like we did last time. And I think it's a toss-up against Portland. I, I actually really like Portland's squad this year. Uh, Portland held held against their own against the Sounders, a one-two loss recently. Uh, they shut out LA with a clean sheet, three-zero. So it's definitely a good team. Uh, we'll see. And they've been doing really well in Concacaf. Well, they did for a little while, and they <laughs> lost, but. Anyway. Well, I, I agree with you. I think Portland's probably the most talented squad in those three that are upcoming for us. 
The one thing that I think might be playing against him is they might still have some tired legs after making the CONCACAF Champions quarterfinals. I mean, they, you know, they they had a great run, ultimately losing to Club America, you know, and what are you going to do? League MX is, the top of League MX is still better than the top of MLS. There, I said it. Right. Don't hate uh, me. Everyone knows it. It's fine. <laughs> you know, but, but looking at MLS competition, Portland is do or die. They are predator or they are prey, by which I mean they got three wins, they got three losses. They have beaten some teams two and three to nothing. They have also lost to FC Dallas four to one. So I think it's really going to depend. Are we going to get the same sporting Kansas City team we got that really beat up on San Jose and made them pay? Or are we going to play the Portland team that's going to come out and make us pay for defensive lapses, which... I didn't touch on them, but we're still fairly prevalent throughout that San Jose match. So we both kind of agree Portland's probably the most talented team we're coming up against here. How many points do you want? And also, how many points do you realistically see in these next three matches? Uh, like total or by for each match? Yeah, go for each match and then see what you tally up. Well, you know, I, I think it'd be great for us to... Well, here, let me say, I think it'd be great for us to get around five points... I think we should shoot for six points. I think that would be great. Like I said, I think we go two, one, maybe we get a loss. Um, so if, if if we come out of those three games with six points, it's great. Yeah, I man, I would like to see some revenge against Houston, mainly because I know they're doing better so far than a lot of people predicted. They're sitting at, uh, yeah. what is it, I believe, uh, fourth in the Western Conference right now. But... Man, that first game we played them, we destroyed them in shot attempts and possession. It was just the opposite of this last game where the one time they caught us napping was all they needed to go ahead. I know we do have some rivalry dynamics with them. No, oh, geez, no pun intended, going, you know, back a few years into the into the playoffs. Right. They always seem to play us tight. I think, man, I really think we're gonna get a revenge against Houston. I'm a little bit worried about Austin. I think that had we not gotten that red card in the Austin match, we don't come back and win that one. I think we maybe tie them up. So I'm going to say three against Houston for revenge, one against Austin for the universe. And I think Portland's going to put it together. They're going to get their supporters, you know, I don't know what their capacity is looking like right now given COVID, but it'll probably be one of the most, you know, open stadium games they've had since COVID. They're going to want to have Sporting coming into town for, uh, you know, Western Conference standings. I think we dropped that one, but I don't think it's the end of the world, personally. Yeah, I agree. Then my my final question for you going forward, what will be the key going forward for this squad? Do you think it rests in a player we have really playing up to their potential? Is it going to be wind up being Vermees and his tactics, or is it going to be different parts of the team shoring it up as a unit? What do you think personally? Well... I think this squad is still pretty similar from last squad. So the weaknesses are sim- are still the same, right? We still need to figure out that backfield. Who's who's going to solidify the center back? Who's going to solidify the left and right? Yes, there's people playing well, but it's this like hodgepodge of so many different people rotating those positions. We need to find some sort of constancy in there, whether it's Jalen Lindsay or fine. If it's not Jalen, is it Zussi? Is it Punchich? You know, is it one of those guys we need to solidify there because we have so many weapons on the offense that we can play around with it. We can play around with Kinda, Bus- Busio, 
Um, now Shallowy's really come into his own. Pulido, Johnny Russell. There's so many different combinations there, but there's less combinations on the on the defensive side. You know, we really need those our our, our recent French signings. You know, to really solidify themselves as well. Um, so that's the big question mark going forward because Tim Mila can only do so much. If you put Tim Mila in a bad position. Tim Melia, you know, just puts his hands up in the air, you know, he helps. He is a big contributor, but you have to always help him out and put him in good positions. So, yeah, defense, man, it's I, I've been waffling back and forth on this one because, as I mentioned, I'm still not convinced this defense is going to be built to last going into the playoffs. I think they'll yeah, I agree. be our Achilles heel again. But, you know, with the substitutions we had to make with Fontas and Zussi being out, I really liked the combination we had of Rod and Lindsay in their places. The defense seemed much more coherent. I only saw him kind of get burned on assignments once or twice. And ultimately, we only let in one goal. But then on the flip side, man, I love Johnny Russell. I, I find it hard to believe that I'm saying this, that maybe we play better when he's not on the field. But, <laughs> man, that trifecta of Shallowy, Polito, and Shelton playing up front really seemed to work wonders. And our midfield, you know, we had Kinda and Busio. I think this was the best game Kinda had played all season. I yep. don't think Shallowy is like the long-term answer at left. But, man, I hope they keep rolling with this lineup going forward. So I think, ultimately, I would say the biggest key going forward for this team is going to be Peter Vermees and his tactics, seeing where he plays players and where he continues to play players going forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's definitely like kind of a part of what I was talking about. You're right. Is like, what is going to be the perfect combination? If you need to make subs, that's fine. That's fine. But what is going to be, you know, constancy, like I said, consistency, consistency, consistency. Well, if anything's consistent, is that you can believe we'll be back next week to bring you some more Fountain City Sports Media update action. Royals are playing better. Sporting Kansas City is playing better. It's going to be a good time. We'll have some awesome beers to be reviewed for you. Weather's getting nice. Armando, last question. Do you have any Memorial Day plans while you're in L.A.? When is Memorial Day? <laughs> this weekend, my dude. I have rehearsal, dude. I have rehearsal every day. <laughs> They're not giving you so Memorial Day I'm, off? I'm, no, I'm going to be in rehearsal. I think I have Wednesday off, which is nice. But yeah, I'm going to be in rehearsal every single day. But, you know, for those of you that don't know about opera, they're usually just like long chunks of time. But then that means that we have long chunks of breaks throughout mm -hmm. the day. So I might have the morning off or I might have the evening off, you know? Um, so if I have some time off, there's just so many great breweries. I'm going to be heading to Monkish and grabbing some cans from there. Uh, Monkish is about 45 minutes away from where I'm staying at right now, but oh man, I'm so excited to have some Monkish, man. That's probably number one on my list other than seeing family. And then literally every restaurant that you go to is solid, whether it be like the Mexican hole in the wall restaurant um, or like the random pizza place in the neighborhood. Everything just tastes so good. So that's how I'm going to be spending my time and then going to the gym after eating so much food and drinking so much beer. I mean, <laughs> that all makes sense. I'm not going to lie. Sleeper and possibly unpopular decision here. I think L.A. is one of the coolest cities in the country. Oh, totally. And it was like, you can't say it's like the biggest, second biggest market in the country. Of course, it's going to be cool. Big city, LAFC. Shut up, nerds. You know, LA it's, is it's, cool. It's big city, but the the each neighborhood is so unique. So unique. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I lived in Diamond Bar, which is kind of a little bit farther away from L.A., but I've, I've stayed in East Los Angeles. Montebello, I stayed in Lincoln Heights, I've stayed in Highland 
Park. And all of them just have completely different vibes. Some of these families have been here for decades and they don't leave this neighborhood. I mean, if they go out to eat, they're eating in the neighborhood. They're not, no one's driving out here. I know there's traffic, but people stay in their neighborhoods and they're just, they're so unique. So I also went to this street market uh, a couple nights ago. They shut down the entire street at night and then vendors come in and flood the entire street. It's almost a mile long of like all these different Mexican places, um, ice cream places, popcorn places. It's so cool. So yeah, LA up there. I love LA. How about you, dude? What are you doing this weekend? I will be... Oh man, what am I doing this weekend? I'll be at work at the beer hall. Come say hi. I'll pour you an early riser. Um... (laughs) I'll also be <laughs> just, I think, just kind of vibing. I might try and get some disc golf in. Solid. And if the weather permits, because it's rained for like 10 straight days here, I'm definitely going to try and grill. And I'm going to pop out my Ronald Reagan riding a Raptor tank top, as is for tradition. <laughs> America! That's awesome. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Fountain City Sports Media.